Our tour begins here in this gallery. Nothing is rehearsed. There is no script. We don't know what will happen. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Epcot Center is proud to present over the World Showcase Lagoon. Uh, right now I'd like to turn you over to W. everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 245 for the week of October 23rd, 2011. It's the most wonderful time of year at Walt Disney World, as the 16th annual Epcot International Food and Wine Festival is in full swing, featuring food, fun, friends, and an overall entertainment experience. Once again, we set out with our maps and appetites on the annual WDW Radio Food and Wine Walkabout. We'll review the menus, food, and drinks from every kiosk on the promenade, as well as offer tips, advice, some overlooked experiences, and more during our live recap. We'll also discuss some of the new features, kiosks, and technologies in this year's event, and let you download our full, unedited, live walkabout as well. I'll have a couple of announcements, then play more of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. For many people, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, but for others, like myself, the most wonderful time of the year revolves around the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival. This year is its 16th year in existence, and if I sound a little sleepy or groggy today, it's because it's possibly either the exhaustion or food coma as we just finished our annual, fourth annual, WDW Radio Food and Wine Walkabout, where we enjoy explore and savor all the sights, the sounds, and the flavors of the Inter Epcot International Food and Wine Festival. And joining me to do a little bit of recap and review of this year's kiosks and pavilions are some a couple of new voices and faces to uh, the show. First is uh, Glenn Whalen. Hey, folks. Larson. Hello. Mike Beckerman. What's up, everyone? The Drew family. Hello. Hi there. Val and Steve. And... Dee Dee Herring. <laughs> and Dee Dee. And, uh, and you guys braved the oh-so-awesome October weather. It was like 70 degrees, clear skies. This is what Florida is supposed to be about. Uh, beautiful day, food and wine festival kicking off. And uh, for a lot of us, this is our returning trip to food and wine. This is something we do many, many times over the years. Uh, we also have done the walkabout a number of times. Glenn, this is your first time doing the walkabout with us? Yeah, actually, I've always been occupied with something else going on simultaneously. So this is the first time I've actually participated in the actual walkabout. And it's always been a lot of fun because it gives us a chance to sort of, and we were saying this the other night as we were walking around, I think what the big appeal about the Food and Wine Festival is not just 
And we don't even do really the seminars and the wine tastings and the blendings and the celebrity signings and all this stuff going on. But for us, it's about just wandering the promenade with friends and just enjoying it because it really is an experience beyond just sampling all the food and the wine and the beers and the desserts and everything else that's going on. It's about the entertainment that goes on and just sort of the atmosphere of being there. You're actually right because we finished about two hours ago doing that and I already don't remember the food as much as the fun we had <laughs> walking around. Yeah, and we commented on it and uh, we recorded some audio, we shot some video uh, that we'll put up and see because it really is sort of all the, about the energy of just sort of being there. Uh, it wasn't too crowded this afternoon, which was really nice, but there's live music in the background and whether it's the Taco Drummers or Off Kilter or the Eat to the Beat concert series that goes on uh, every night over at the American Gardens Theater, where they come during the day or night, you can really sort of make a, a full day's event out of it. And just about any words you say can be a music cue to just start singing anything, which is something I prefer to do. So before we get started, I, I want to talk about a couple of things that we brought up very early on, which was some changes in addition to the Food and Wine Festival that didn't even really have to do specifically with the kiosks. And some of the changes we saw were actually in the technology that was used. For the first time this year, we talked about this a few weeks ago on the newscast, Disney launched uh, a free food and wine festival. It's not really an app so much as it is sort of a mobile website that gives you access to maps, menus, favorites, entertainment guides, and it's available across all devices. So beyond the festival map, they also have the Discovery Passport, but they also allow you to do it right on your smartphone. Uh, Larson, I know you were a big Apple guy, a tech guy, so it was a nice addition seeing that if you don't want to sort of carry that around, but to be able to mark it off right on your phone. Yeah, and there's also the, the QR codes on the back of all the receipts, so it should bring you right to you know, information about that food, about that country, which was I thought was really cool. And we also found out too later on, I didn't realize that the QR codes, which are neatly shaped like a spaceship Earth icon, actually also give you the recipes for a lot. So when we were talking about uh, the pumpkin Spy, what is it, the pumpkin <laughs> thing over at, at Hops and Barley. Um, we, we, we got excited when we found out that there was the, the recipe. Was it? it was the pumpkin mousse with ocean spray, craisins, and orange sauce. Yeah, so it's a nice addition, and unless you sort of uh, have sort of ownership of it on your phone, and again, you could mark favorites, you could tweet about it, you could see what the map looks like uh, without even, so you were able to even prepare for the Food and Wine Festival before you got here. Uh, but what we've done for the past, I guess it's four years now, is what we like to call the walkabout, where we like to try and, as much as we can, enjoy every one of the 29 pavilions that are here on the World Showcase Promenade. Uh, I think food and wine is a bit of a misnomer because, and I mean that in a good way, because beyond the food and the wine, there's also beers, there's other sort of mixed drinks. So there's a lot to it. And I, I say all the time that I think the best way to learn about a culture is through their food. I think this is certainly even a, a better opportunity than what you get just with the 11 countries. And again, it's even better when you enjoy it with friends. Yeah, I agree. It's it's just a lot of fun to do. It's a carnival atmosphere, and uh, everybody should at least try it once. Yeah, and now this is like, you sir, you know, that your wife was the big Disney fan, and now this is what you're circling on your calendar early on in the year. You're, you're an easy convert. Yeah, I circle this and Marathon Weekend, so if I, <laughs> You know, they kind of balance out. If you could choose only one. Uh, don't make me It's do like that. your favorite child, isn't it? Don't make me, yeah, don't make me do that. You know you have a favorite one, you just don't really want to admit it. 
It's okay, you can say it. It's the food and wine. Yeah, because he's the person that during the 24-hour, was it the 24-hour show that you downed a kitchen sink at Peaches and Cream by yourself in 17 minutes? And we're disappointed that you didn't know that the record was nine or you would have tried a little bit harder. Well, there's always another show ahead, I'm sure. <laughs> well, we all sort of definitely held our own today as well, because what we did was we met up uh, by the entrance to World Showcase where Future World meets it. And normally we begin either a clockwise or a counterclockwise uh, direction. This year, Glenn had a great suggestion. We sent some people sort of forwards and backwards, grabbed food from about three or four different kiosks, started from there, and then worked our way around um, around the, the, the promenade. So Glenn, never having sort of done food and wine like this and the walkabout, did you sort of come in with any expectations? Well, I had expectations that I was going to be eating a lot, <laughs> uh, and I wanted that, and we did eat a lot. Uh, I think I didn't know, you know, I... You, you, you taste the culture and all the food you eat, and I think I'm in culture shock. So we've, we, we certainly ate a lot of different foods, and spreading them out amongst the three and a half, four hours, five hours that it took us was fun, but it is exhausting. And now some of us are locals, some of us sort of travel long distances to get here. Before you get to food and wine, do you plan ahead? Do you look through the map? Do you sort of circle things either in your mind, on your phone, or on the map before you get here to say, these are things I want to see. Um, do you try and not eat very much during the day? Um, and sort of prepare ahead of time before you get here? It goes in phases. At the beginning, the first time, the first year, we knew nothing. We just enjoyed ourselves. Then in the following two years, we did. We got all the information when it first came out and Steve was circling where and what was new and which things we had to do. This year, I think we just kind of kicked back and just let it flow and it was very enjoyable there were, we knew what we were looking for in a lot of places and we were pleasantly surprised by the new additions yeah i was as well i, I like, like to kind of scan the menu and see what the new pavilions are because i always want to try something new we'll talk about that because i think for a lot of us this is that opportunity to sample some things that you might not try otherwise steve you would try anything anytime i know <laughs> but for those of us who say hey you know what maybe i don't like things that are spicy maybe i don't know you know, what a lamb slider might taste like. You're not investing a lot, either time-wise and dollar-wise, because all of the portions are tapas size or appetizer size portions that you can still share if you want with others, but are only gonna range from about three to seven dollars or so uh, ahead of time. So it's a great opportunity to sort of sample things without having to say, okay, we need to make reservations at Morocco as opposed to, hey, let's try the, the Kafka pita pocket and then move along if we really don't like it. Yeah, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of people don't have great appetites. Just having a couple tapas size uh, portions is enough for a meal. I like having a, more than that, but <laughs> for a lot of people, there are some items that are decent portions where you can make a meal out of it. You're not always great at sharing, but we, we forced you to do so. <laughs> for the, for the, and listen, with 29 kiosks, you know, you were able to sort of spread it out as we all were. Uh, one thing I will say is I don't recommend approaching food and the wine the way we did it today. We're doing it for purposes of the show to try and experience all of them on one, review it as best as we can, and give you an idea either of what to look forward to if you're coming down, or maybe what you're missing. Maybe if food and wine is something that hasn't been on your radar before, let you know that it is very much a, a destination. It is an experience beyond, even if you're not a big eater, if you're not adventurous in your eating, it is a place to come uh, because it is 
so much more than that. So I suggest not trying to do it in one day in, in five and a half hours the way we did, but it should be done over multiple days. I think that's why people come here specifically to enjoy food and wine over a number of days. Yeah, Lou, there's a couple of great advantages to doing this with friends. One of the biggest ones is that we all have different palates and we all have different likes and dislikes. So there were some things that I knew would be too, I'm not like, I'm not very good with spicy food. I'm very wimpy when it comes to that. So a lot of the foods were too spicy and it was pretty easy for me to go, look, that's something I've tried a little bit of it. I don't want that. And then you get to share it. So if you could travel with somebody who, who doesn't like sushi and you like sushi, the more you get. So it's better to travel with someone who doesn't like what you like. And I, th I think too about traveling with friends is that while you're doing it, part of the fun is talking about the food while you're experiencing it. So as we're, we're doing things, we're all sort of relating our own personal experiences, what we think, what we feel about it. Yeah, I, I think for me, especially today, there were things that I wouldn't have tried, even though I liked them, like the, um, the waffle. I never would have tried that. I was thinking waffle, you know? I never would have tried it if it weren't for a group like this where everyone is trying one, you know, one thing or a bunch of things at a time, so. It's like high school peer pressure, but in a good way. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, the nice thing is, though, if you're going to spend that money, if you're going to spend $6 on something and you get a chance to try it and everybody else is going to eat it, then you, you don't have to worry about it. If somebody's going to buy that, you can taste it, but not invest yourself in, well, I'm going to spend my $6 here when you're all you know, sharing, sharing it and taking the taste, it makes it nicer. And it's nice too, because I think everybody sort of comes with uh, a different type of experience that they're looking for. So for some of us, it is all about the food. It is sort of sampling all the new things, seeing how things compare to what they were last year. For other people, especially if you are a wine enthusiast, connoisseur, or if you just like a glass of wine, I think this is a great experience for you. Uh, we did not drink a lot, or else it would have been a very, very short walkabout. But uh, if you want to learn more about, you know, Australian wines or Brazilian wines, whatever it might be, this is the great place to do it because it's only a couple of dollars. They're paired so well with the food we saw, not only with the wines, but with the beers and the drinks as well. So it's a great, I think it really is, in case you can't take your kids out of school, it's also a great learning opportunity as well. Well, I don't have kids, so I can't answer that, but he shoved the microphone on my... No. Um, yeah, I mean, Steph and I both love love wines, and it's to, to try little two-ounce or four-ounce, you know, essentially, quote-unquote, shots of, of wine, you can try a lot of stuff that you may not have thought you could try, you know, buying a full bottle, which is great. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to call myself a pretty big wine connoisseur myself, too, and... Um, Food and wine is a great uh, way to try new things that you would never think you'd try before. Like, I've tried wines in countries where, you know, you would think, well, maybe they wouldn't have a great wine, but it, it turns out that in the end, maybe they do. So food and wine is a great way to test the water, so to speak. And I think that holds true with food as well. And let's sort of get into the kiosks. And again, we won't sort of go, of course we probably will, into every item uh, in every kiosk. But the way we started off was, because of the way the kiosks are laid out, we did start by um, going to almost a, a number of different stations first and then meeting at a central spot. And one of the first places that we started with was one of those tried and true favorites, one that for those who have been food and wine, you know it's on your radar because Cork Ireland continues to be one of the most popular kiosks every year. 
Uh, and usually it's because of the lobster and scallop fisherman's pie. There's also a, a cheese selection and the warm chocolate lava cake with Bailey's ganache. The three of those make for a really nice, they all complement each other very well. There's also a Guinness draft and a, a honey wine as well. Again, you know, we, we've experienced, we enjoyed the fisherman's pie beforehand. It's been a five plus in years past. You almost don't want to rain it too high right from the beginning, but instantly, it was a five right out of the bark. This was your first time trying it? Yeah, it was my first time uh, eating that, and it was, it was delicious. I'd heard about it for years. I heard everyone talking about it. It was delicious. And the thing about it, too, is there's small portions, but here, it's not just little chunks of lobster. You get big, meaty pieces of lobster. Steve smiles as I start saying that, uh, and lots of scallop. And, you know, we were sort of reviewing it on the spot, but that's one of the things that when we tell people about food and wine is one of those must-dos. You have to try it. Yeah, and uh, it's this has been, I think, the third year they've had that. You don't get tired of it. It's and you don't want you you want things to change, but other things you just hope they never change. And some of the other things that we hope that they don't change, and it's always back on the menu, is like over in Canada, they've got the cheddar cheese soup. It's sort of one of those staples. It's served at La Cellier, so people know it, but it's a great opportunity to get a little sample of it outside. And again, you don't have to sort of sit down, get an ADR, have a full blown meal but you get a, a nice little sampling of soup that really is, like we said before, it's, uh, it's Canadian comfort food. Yes, it is, and I like the fact that what they're doing is they're serving you a little bit of what you can get in the restaurant that way. It's kind of drawing you in the next time you come to go ahead, it might not be food and wine that time, but you can still find it in the Canadian Pavilion. And the other thing too is, just because pavilions come back year after year, like Greece, the menu items are not always the same, and Greece is a great example. We tried that as well. They did have the uh, chicken souvlaki with tzatziki sauce, but they also had something new this year, which was a griddled Greek cheese with pistachios and honey, which sort of piqued our interest. Um, what, what did you guys think of it when it actually came to the table and tried it? Um, you know, it, it looked like it would just kind of melt, and it completely did the opposite of that. Um, like, I think you, you made a joke, we needed a chainsaw uh, to actually cut through it. Uh, I, I thought it was good, but just, you know, not what, you, you have that, um, that preconceived notion when you see it, and then when you actually go to, you know, actually cut into it, it just wasn't what we thought it was. But it's still, I think, I think it still tasted good. Well, I think the idea of having a, a preconception of what you might like and what you might not like is one of the things about food and wine that people should sort of leave themselves open to the experience. So you might, you know, go through the menu and say, look at Australia and say, well, you know, I, I'm not a lamb person, so I don't want to try the lamb chop. Or I don't know what this might taste like. Or I've had shrimp before. But the way things are prepared and because they are so very unique to the country, you need to, self, need to let yourself open to experiencing all the different things. Oh, I 100% agree. I, one of the things that we walked by in a previous visit that we just ignored was the Argentina booth. And inside the Argentina booth, they had the, the let's see, what, how do they, what they call it? The grilled beef skewer with chimichurri sauce. And that was probably my favorite uh, beef thing that we had the entire day. Something I would have skipped, the chimichurri sauce was, was an amazing parsley type of thing. It was very sweet and it worked really well with the, the had a pesto kind of a taste to it and we all just loved it I mean even after the meat was gone people were scooping that up with 
potatoes. It was just very good. And we had even, we had walked the promenade the night before, a little reconnaissance mission to sort of get a feel of where things were, what we want to taste. And one thing too, we talk about it being um, a multi-sensory experience. As you walk through, I really felt more so this year, you got a, a, scent, a sense of the scents, yes. the smells of the different kiosks as you walk by. And again, that preconception, we had walked by Brazil last night and definitely got a strong sense of the fish that was being cooked inside. When we went back today, today we tasted the it's seared mahi-mahi. It's even fair to say that it wasn't an, ex, an enticing smell. Right. It was a very fishy type smell that made me think, I don't think I want to eat It was off-putting almost. Yes. Yeah. But we, you know, in the interest of research, we ordered this, the seared mahi-mahi with um, steamed rice, hearts of palm, and coconut lime sauce. And we rated everything on a scale of one to five. This was the third kiosk we went to, or third or fourth kiosk we went to, and we gave it a four and a half because it was that good. It wasn't fishy at all, and we were like, wow, this is one of our new instant favorites on the menu. Exactly. It definitely was. We had tried some salmon before that that I thought was excellent, but I've never had mahi-mahi before, and I'll, I will definitely order it from now on. Yeah, it was mild, and it was a real sophisticated plate. It uh, had all these different flavors going for it, and uh, I'd go back for it. Ooh, sophisticated plate. It's like food network in here all of a sudden. <laughs> um, but the other thing too about Brazil that we thought was interesting was they had, uh, and this is the first time I ever saw it referred to as such, Brazil's national dish. dish. And what was it called? Because I, can't, I still can't pronounce it. I, I gotta see it and then I can, uh, is it, uh, I'm being shoved too, Fijota. Right? Is that what I said it was before? <laughs> I can't even remember now. <laughs> I'll put Larson's email in the... Uh, in the, the, in the <laughs> like Fejota or something like that? You know what? It's black... It's, it's black beans and... Um, and I'm so tired I can't even read it. And pork stew. And I think this is one of the things... We, we, we didn't rate it very high. Um, it wasn't overly... Feijoada. There you go. It didn't have some of those <laughs> explosive flavors that maybe some of us were looking for that we had gotten in things like the chimichurri sauce. But the fact that it was Brazil's national dish, it gave us a chance to experience something that is a staple of the Brazilian culture. So when I talk about learning about a people through their food, I think this was one of those opportunities, even though it might not have been something that was, wow, I've got to make sure and go back for it every single time. Yeah, but we, we also don't know if they did, if that's one of the dishes that they kind of, I don't want to say dumbed down, but kind of, you know, leave out some of the spice that maybe our palates are not used to that a Brazilian person could take with no problem. And I think that that's a, a good point is that, and I mean this in a good way, I think that all the food, while some may be spicier than others, and we'll talk about things like the kimchi later on in, in South Korea, uh, while it may be spicier, it may be heavy in curries or, or certain types of uh, levels of heat, I, I think it's all pretty safe. And what I mean by that is, if you want to sort of expand your, your palate a little bit and try something, there won't be anything that is too sort of dangerous that you have to worry about really not enjoying. It might not suit you, but it's not gonna be overly hot, it's not gonna be overly spicy, it's not gonna be um, something that, especially an American palate, might not be used to. Right, and there's some cultures that they, I guess they can't avoid doing that. Some of the dishes are extremely spicy, extremely hot, but there are some that you, you can always pick and choose which ones you're gonna use. Yeah, so we, uh, we definitely like the seared mahi-mahi in Brazil. 
Over in Argentina, we thought that Argentina kind of hit it out of the park. The Greek that grilled beef skewers got always given a big thumbs up with chimichurri sauce and uh, the boniano puree was a 4.7 and we gave the beef empanada a four. So we, you know, we thought Argentina was a really solid pavilion. But right next door, one of the new ones was uh, Destination Caribbean. And they had a ro ropa vieja, which is a, uh, a braised beef with white rice and jerk spiced chicken drumstick with mango salsa. And instead of a couple of wines, they had a couple of frozen drinks, a, mock, a rock coconut mojito and the dragonberry colada. Everybody at the table is smiling as I'm saying this because while we like the food, we love the drinks. Yeah, the uh, both the mojito and the uh, the dragonberry colada were both absolutely excellent. You would think that these things are not that you know they made them frozen, so you're a little hesitant at first because the mojito generally isn't frozen, but having the coconut mojito frozen tasted absolutely wonderful. And this is one of the things that everybody felt was really paired well with the with the spices in the jerk chicken and even the braised beef and white rice because not only was it cooling but you, you all use the same word which was very refreshing I was, mike mike beckman actually chose a different route of doing it which was <laughs> to drink all eight ounces of it in a in a split second so it was all gone immediately so yeah uh for for touring touring tips don't put the cup of alcohol in front of the 22 year old college student <laughs> Yeah, the little bit that we all did get, we loved. Yeah. And uh, if we could have had a little bit more after we were done with the spicy jerk chicken, it would have been nice. But yeah, it really was paired very well with the spiciness of, of the foods. And it wasn't a very heavy alcohol flavor, so if you're not really a big drinker, you can still uh, sort of enjoy it just for how refreshing that it was. And we, we like that and the Dragonberry Colada. Like, we gave those fives. And it wasn't overly alcoholic. There are other drinks later on that we found that were... Did you say Mike wasn't overly alcoholic or you said the drinks weren't? <laughs> the drinks, the drinks. So as we continued to walk by some of the other pavilions, we went to Mexico, which had a grilled ribeye taco and the flan. And we had commented about that because we've had tacos before. You were, uh, you were a flan... Fan. Flan fan. So you were you had a certain level of expectation like, of what the flan. To, we prefer to think of ourselves as flan fans. Flan. <laughs> yeah. That's that's how you know if they're really a dedicated flan fan. And so what do you think about the Mexican flan since you were sort of the connoisseur of flan? I actually thought the texture that was a was was a bit off-putting for a flan. I do prefer the jiggly, jello-y type. I know this is the scientific term. The Food Network people are having a heart attack right now. The, the I like my flan to be jiggly with the with the drippy dri drippy caramelly type stuff filling up the whole plate, and it wasn't like that. It was more like a wet cake. Now I, on the other hand, who am not a flan fan, right. normally I like the texture of this. We so call you a flan fan. <laughs> <laughs> So I really enjoyed it. And Steve, I remember you picked this up, you brought it over the table, and you were half-jokingly saying, this is the best value for the money because by far it was the heaviest plate you brought over. Yeah, you got a nice portion. It was uh, a full-size dessert portion that you would get at a restaurant. It, it was the heaviest uh, plate there. You got good uh, value for your money, and I thought it was delicious. Yeah, we all seemed to uh, we also enjoy it. We also gave the grilled ribeye tacos of four. It had a nice spice to it. Again, not anything too crazy. When we went over to Scandinavia, talking about those preconceptions that you need to sort of throw out, 
we went in with this idea. We had experienced Scandinavia last year and admittedly weren't crazy about it. Um, they had the Swedish meatballs. They had a taste of Scandinavia. Again, a sampling of shrimp salad, uh, cured salmon and herring, sort of those, those cold cured meats, very sort of traditional of what you'd find in Scandinavia. And they also had a rice pudding uh, with Driscoll's only the finest berries. But in the interest of giving everything it, its due course, we had the Swedish meatballs because we think that was something that most people would probably order as they went by. And we had the rice pudding and we were very surprised, especially after our experience last year. Yeah, I really liked the meatballs there, that berry sauce, and uh, that really went well with it. You know, and I would have expected that. I, I personally would never put berries on my meatballs. <laughs> you know, but when we had that, it was just, it melted in your mouth, the, the texture of the meatball itself, and, and what it's cooked in was excellent, and then that just little extra with those berries was just very, very good. And that's one of the ones that I'm happy we decided to give it a chance because we all were sort of, you know, apologizing, saying we came in thinking this was going to be a one or a two, and we ranked them both a four. You know, again, go back to the textures of the rice pudding. We all sort of enjoyed the textures and the flavor of the rice pudding. So uh, even if you had a bad experience the year before or even the day before, we talked right. about last night eating some things at 9.30 as the pavilions were about to close, having a completely different experience today. Right. That jerk chicken was one. Last night, maybe not as spicy, didn't have as much rub on it. Today, we found a lot of the pavilions to be much better off earlier in the day. Right, in, the Sc in Scandinavia, I actually, we had the rice pudding with the fruit in it, and that was so excellent, and it had the texture feeling that I thought the flan was lacking. So I actually went, oh, well now this is what I'd rather have had, so. Yeah, we're sort of marking things along the way, saying, when I come back, not sort of doing this commando style, this is one of the things that I want to come back just to enjoy. Uh, we walked over to China next. China had a black pepper shrimp and Sichuan noodle, pork pot stickers, and uh, barbecue chicken stick. And this is one of the ones that was surprising. Again, we knew the pot stickers have been good in years past. I don't know what it is, the sauce they put on there, but it's not like you know going to your local Fridays and getting pot stickers. Um, the, the texture was great, the flavor was great, but we were surprised. We said, oh, barbecue piece of chicken, it's gonna be a dry, plain piece of chicken with barbecue sauce. Very surprised as to what we got. The chicken was, was excellent, it fell apart. It was, I guess, tempered with a soy sauce type and a ginger flavoring. Excellent, and I, I actually preferred that to the pot stickers. Pot stickers, and this, this afternoon didn't seem to be as, as a clean for me. The pot stickers we got were, were not as good but then probably 10 minutes later, Deanna came over with the kids and brought two orders, two more orders of pot stickers, and they were done to perfection. They were just like last night. They had that little bit of a crispiness. Very, very good. And again, because everybody's palate is different, not everybody's gonna like the same thing, although there were, were a few that we all sort of all agreed on or all disagreed on. Uh, we moved over to South Korea, where they had lettuce wraps and roast pork with kimchi slaw and a bulgogi barbecue beef with steamed rice and kimchi. Uh, these two, these are one of the ones not, you know, most people I don't think have South Korean restaurants on every corner like McDonald's. So it's an opportunity to, to try something new. And some, some of us were kind of surprised at how strong, how intense some of the flavors were here. Yeah, and kimchi, which is in South Korea, it's something that they have with almost every single meal. They're just It's pretty standard that they would have this breakfast, lunch, and dinner with everything. And it's definitely an acquired taste. It's almost a, a bitter, uh, 
sharp flavor for, for at least for me. So it's certainly something I haven't grown to enjoy. It's not like a curry spice, it's a heat. I mean, there's a lot of heat that's associated with the kimchi, but it wasn't as intense in the lettuce wraps as it was in the uh, bulgogi barbecue beef. Right, but on the, in the lettuce wrap, it was on the side. So when you constructed your lettuce wrap, you could make it as uh, spicy as you wanted to. And the thing too was, first of all, lettuce wraps, it's a fun food because you kind of make it yourself. But I liked some of the dishes like that where the items were separate and you can sort of pull it together with as much or as little spice, sauce, rice, heat, whatever it is that you wanted. So you could temper it to your palate. You chose not to have a lot of kimchi. You who might like spice might have added a little bit more. Yeah, and uh, vinegary too, the vinegary. kimchi, yeah. which I which I wasn't expecting, um, but was very was very good. Controls everything. <laughs> <laughs> so we moved over to uh, South South Africa, which was next, and ordered one of the two items on the menu. They had a seared fillet of beef with smashed sweet potatoes. The uh, boba tea, which is usually on there, was not on there. Instead, they had bunny chow. Bunny and it is neither, it neither in, is, includes bunnies or is for bunnies, <laughs> but instead is a vegetable curry served in a bread loaf. And the interesting thing about the bunny chow, other than the cute and fuzzy name, is that it is one of the vegetarian options. It's marked clearly on the menu and on your map with a green circle and a white V in there, letting you know it's a vegetarian option. So we, we talk about the dining options in Walt Disney World really uh, fitting well for people that have special needs, special dietary requirements. So seeing it right there, right on the promenade in the kiosk, I think is a great option for those that either want to or have to have a vegetarian option. Yeah, and I normally wouldn't eat anything that doesn't have meat, but being that it's food and wine and you have a small portion, you could try something that's just vegetables and uh, it wasn't too bad. I liked it a lot and I wouldn't normally, I've never really done curry before and I was pleasantly surprised and I think I will order more curried kind of foods. Yeah, and again, it sort of, it may even let you dip your toe into the water of a, a country or a type of food or a spice that you might not have tried before. It had no, it had no bunny and it had no chow in it, so <laughs> we, 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 we stuck our rabbit's foot into it just to give it a try. But it was very, it, if you are interested in curry, it was a very heavy in the curry department. Yes. And now, you know, food and wine isn't just for adults and college kids and teenagers. It is for family. So my, my kids had joined us for a while, and my daughter tried it, who had never experienced curry before, and she really liked it. So for her, this was her sort of introduction into stuff that obviously we don't normally make bunny chow <laughs> at home <laughs> very often. Nothing fatal attraction. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, moving down sort of as we're going clockwise around the promenade, there were two kiosks uh, that were a bit different. One of them was the cheese kiosk, which had a selection of artisan back, cheeses, <laughs> cheese fondue. But the thing that was interesting about the cheese kiosk, because we were talking about the technology before, was I guess they're sort of testing this year something new we haven't seen. We see it at Pecos Bill's Cafe in the Magic Kingdom, but it, it is a self-service ordering kiosk. There are two of them, so rather than get online, go up to the counter, tell them the items you want, they swipe your card or they swipe your gift card, 
you walk up to a self-serve kiosk, you can swipe your gift card and use a touchscreen menu to choose the items you want, the beverages you want, and the quantity. You can then pick it up at the, um, at the end where you would normally pick up the rest of your food. What do you think about the introduction of things like that? Do you think it's going to help sort of speed things along or potentially slow things down because there's that, you know, I use sort of the mom factor. Is my mom going to be able to order as fast as the people ringing it up? Yeah, I mean, uh, introducing technology like that, it's always 50-50. Um, I think, personally, that it's going to speed up the process because in food and wine festivals of the past, I've noticed that there have been very long lines, very long waits, and this is starting to streamline the process and make things go a lot faster. You wonder with things like next-gen technology, and, and, the, and you see the sort of, Disney is starting to get into the smartphone applications, how they might be able to use that, personalize the experience for you, maybe as you're walking around saying, oh, I have to make sure I try the sushi in Japan and you can click it and when you get up there, you can scan your phone or scan a QR code on your phone so your order's already already ready to go. Yeah, I mean, it's an inter interesting concept because here's a company that built so much upon the awesome customer service, that face-to-face -face interaction. Do you remember the World Key kiosks where you would actually get face to face with somebody who wasn't in, wasn't right in front of you, just you could have that experience. And now they're actually giving in to, well maybe we don't have to have that face to face. We're able to take care of our own selves. Maybe the customer, our guests would rather take care of this themselves on their own smartphone. Yeah. I think keeping both though available, having both the, the self-serve kiosk and the people there for that quote unquote mom factor, so that somebody can say, oh, okay, well that person's taking too long, let me just hop in the line and I'll, I'll order it myself, but you also have the option, because not everybody does like technology, so. Well, I think, and it, I was okay with it being at the Cheese Pavilion for this purpose, the Cheese Pavilion, um, the House of Cheese for this purpose, because I think the thing about World Showcase all the time, specifically food and wine, is it does give you an opportunity, forget as a kid, but as an adult, to interact with cast members who are from that country. So you can ask the people in Japan or Morocco or China or South Korea, is this something that you guys eat every day? How, what kind of a, you know, how does this compare to what you get at home? And I think engaging the cast members like that in the dialogue while you're waiting for your food or while you're eating the food, hey, is it, am I eating this the right way? How much should I put on? How do I sort of eat this? I think that's a great opportunity there that I hope doesn't get taken away with the introduction of technology. What, and this may be something that, that I, I don't have a, as great a feeling for during food and wine than I do in a regular experience in one of the restaurants where you're talking to somebody from Mexico City and you ask them about stuff on the menu and they can speak intelligently about all of this. The food and wine kiosks aren't necessarily stocked that way. So some of the people, you know, you, you say to somebody, hey, how's the kimchi? And you go, well, I don't know. I've never ate it before. <laughs> you know, so... The, you, the, was that not, your South Korean that accent? Was my <laughs> South Korean accent. So, you know, so the, the, some of the people that are working these kiosks are definitely not from that region. So they can't speak as intelligently about the foods that they're handing out. They can just make it up, though. Yeah, they can make it up. <laughs> uh, something else right across the way was the Brewers Collection. Again, I think we said food and wine is a bit of a misnomer. So if you are a beer fan, a beer enthusiast, maybe somebody who's just sort of, you want to sort of get past the Bud and Miller Lights and try some new things. There are a lot of beer pairings at the pavilions themselves, but there's also the Brewers Collection, which is a special section uh, right next to Germany, appropriately enough, with eight different types of beers. But something else too, is they have two separate beer flights where you can get three six-ounce portions of some of those different beers that you can choose from and 
try a lighter beer, a darker beer, something different. Mike, you're a big beer guy, so this is one of the things that I think appeals to guys like you as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I went here the first time a couple weeks ago and I went over to the uh, the Brewers Collection, I found that it was set up very much like Oktoberfest. You know, you had the, the picnic tables outdoors, like all these beers on tap, and it was just a great way to try all of these beers. And I did both beer flights, and I was very, very impressed by what they had to offer. And again, for somebody who's not a big beer drinker, it gives you a chance to say, you know what, let me sort of take a little risk. Let me sort of take a little leap of faith and try a couple of those other things. My investment, again, time and money-wise, is not that great, but I could also learn about those beers. Hey, what does this beer taste like? Is it very, is it a hoppy beer? Is it a dark beer? What should I even pair this beer with? So in a case like this, there is a learning opportunity there. I even saw the guy was telling one of the patrons how he should pour his beer, how he should, you know, how he should drink his beer, because there is, I guess, sort of an art to it, much like there is wine as well. There's different different glasses that beer should be enjoyed from. Obviously, you're not going to get that experience, I think, here, because you know everything is in plastic glasses. But you know all that kind of stuff. I guess the cast members that are behind there can can speak to. So. And each comment on that. Um, you were talking earlier about wine and trying, you know, different types of wine. Someone like me who doesn't really like beer, I've actually tried some beers that I actually like that I know I would never go out and buy on my own. So. Just like you were saying before about it being food and wine, it's not just food and wine. You have that opportunity to try those different beers, even if you're not a beer fan. So, Yeah, it, it definitely is a, uh, let you be a little bit more adventurous with your palate. I said early on, my wife is not very adventurous, but if we share something, if somebody else orders something, she's willing to sort of try something a little bit different. So right next door was Germany, where they had goulash soup, uh, sausage in a pretzel roll, the Nuremberger sausage in a pretzel roll, and apple strudel features Werther's original caramel and vanilla sauce. Huge, my six-year-old, huge fan of anything that has caramel and vanilla sauce on it. But you were talking before about how this is something that is not sort of unique to Food and Wine Festival, but you can get that sausage and the pretzel roll, which is very popular over at Summerfest as well. Yes, you just head right inside and you can pick up the same thing and you actually get the sauerkraut on it as well. And it comes in actually in a bigger serving. So sometimes you have to. it's good to do a little bit of research just to know what is available to you already in the park and what's going to be easier for you to get by waiting in the line at the... Do you think this is something, a way to introduce people to Summerfest, which I think a lot of people walk by because of the way it's tucked back yeah. into the Germany Pavilion. So if they like it, they might say, hey, you know what, when I come back in June, I can get the same type of thing right over there at Summerfest at Counter Service. It could be, but it's cheaper to do it inside. So it, it is almost like, ooh. Another thing, that, another thing that we found too is when you're here at Food and Wine, if you are more inclined to sit down for dinner, because there are so many people out on the on the walkway testing the foods, it's easier to get seated. Much easier to get seated at the sit-down restaurants than normal. So take that advantage and and like like Glenn said, you're gonna, you may sometimes find that you're going to find a better deal inside. It also gives you a chance to experience things that maybe you try at home and maybe a little bit different here. So you guys are, are from the Pittsburgh area, but we, were, we went over to Poland where they had the kobasa and potato pierogies with caramelized onions and sour cream and the galupkis, <laughs> which I learned last time we were here is something that you guys eat uh, relatively often, it's something that, that is sort of, it, it's, a, it's available. I had never heard of, I've eaten pierogies before, but Golubki for me was something very new. So you were able to compare, uh, much like I was able to do over in Italy, 
compare what you're used to at home with what was served in the Poland Pavilion? Yeah, it's uh, just stuffed cabbage, basically, but uh, it's not as good as mom's, you know, <laughs> but uh, it wasn't bad. You got a taste of it, and that was only two seventy-five, so it was, uh, can't go wrong to give it a try. Yeah, when you mentioned the price uh, along the way as we were going through and doing the reviews, we were we were very much paying attention to the prices. And again, they normally range from about $3, probably as high as maybe $7, $7.50 or so for certain items. Maybe I think like the lobster roll uh, was on the higher end. But we did talk about value. <laughs> You're making the yummy sound for, because I mentioned lobster yeah, roll. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> but we talked about value. And I think for a lot of these things, we all felt that they were pretty good values based on what you got in the plate. Um, it is tapa size, it's appetizer size, but we found ourselves sharing some of them, which is what you can do. So a three, four, five, even six dollars didn't really seem like too much. Yeah, I mean, uh, coming from me being a college student, you know, money is often tight, but these things give you the opportunity to be like, oh, well, this looks good and it's not that expensive. So you can try these things or you can share it with your friends, which is even better because sharing food with your friends is always fun. Portions this year. I think they're bigger portions. I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like even the plates are bigger and the food is much bigger than last year anyway. So Yeah, I think we found ourselves getting full faster this year. Uh, we, we, we altered the way we were doing our walkabout. We were ordering like four or five portions of things at the beginning, then realized about a third of the way through, we should just order one and share it between all of us. So Steve, speaking of it's not as good as mom's, when we went over to the Italy Pavilion, Michael and I, who were raised in a, uh, an Italian household, knew full well that we could never say that anything we ate there would be nearly as good as our mother's. Our, my wife, maybe I could have gotten away with, but certainly not. So there was definitely the guilt factor there too <laughs> that, that may have skewed our judgment. But we were very surprised. They had two items there that we tried. There was a, uh, a ravioli and a, um, some capellini with spicy shrimp. And the ravioli we sort of expected to be the, you know, three or four small ravioli in a little cup. It was actually a, a large square ravioli, probably about four inches by four inches, but it was almost more like, I think you said it was more like a lasagna because underneath, and this is not normally how I'm used to having it at home, but underneath was a layer of beef bolognese, which is normally like a, a red meat sauce that has a lot of um, spicy beef and uh, carrots and peas and things like that. So it was a much sort of heartier meal than just sort of a, a single thin ravioli. Absolutely. If they if they had named that lasagna, I don't think they would have gotten a complaint from anybody because I mean near the corners you found you found where the the I guess the noodle would be joined together. But other than that, it was layered very much like a lasagna. Yeah. And it was delicious. And again, it was very rich and buttery and creamy. And it was it was very shareable. It was a very shareable portion too. Yeah, it was actually better than uh, my mom's ravioli, but not as good as my wife's. <laughs> Who happens to be sitting right next to you, by the way. Um, and we were surprised, too. The, uh, the capellini, which is sort of a, a thin angel hair style pasta, had a nice spicy shrimp with it. And I think we sort of went in maybe a little bit jaded, saying, well, we're used to a certain type of food at home. Maybe it wouldn't be as good. But we're really surprised at how much we enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, when I took a look at the capellini, uh couple days before I thought well maybe this may not be as good I don't know if I'll try it but I come to find out that the capellina that they had was actually excellent like the shrimp and everything was great 
And Glenn, you even said it was something that wouldn't have been on your radar. Like you probably would have normally gone by the Italy Pavilion. Yeah, for, uh, for some reason, and I don't know why. I don't, my last name does not end in a vowel. I don't know why I would, I would just skip the Italy one. I would just have in my head that I'm sure that's just a big ravioli and I'm sure that's just a pasta. I don't need that. And, and then I would run over to the U.S. pavilion and get something that I could get. But I don't know, for some reason I would have skipped Italy and missed out on something. And it's funny because we, we sort of felt that way about Italy and I, I probably would have done the same because I'm like, well, I can get Italian food at home. But yet we all order out for Chinese food all the time, but never would have thought to skip the China Pavilion. No, no, I skip Italy almost every year, and I expected maybe three Chef Boyardee types of ravioli on a plate, and uh, I was surprised. Yeah, and this was one I gave it. Um, I gave it a certain mark out of guilt only, and I sort of marked it in my book with apologies to my mother. Um, but right next door, and again, another one that I think a lot of people may have passed over and may have missed, and Glenn's making the googly eyes in a good way, was the hops and barley right in front of the uh, American Adventure Pavilion across from the America Gardens Theater. And there were three items in there, all of which got five pluses in our books. There was the lobster claw cuddler uh, with drawn butter, a perfect, a perfect main lobster roll and pumpkin mousse with ocean spray, craisins, and orange sauce. Now, when you have people are making, yeah, all of a sudden you guys are all hungry again. We're, we're in food comas, which, because the lobster claw cuddler, uh, it's sort of a deceiving name, was a giant, honking, big old lobster claw. Yeah, there was nothing cuddly about it. It was a big, huge claw, and it was almost awkward. They hand me a plate with this big claw on it, and you have to figure out how to break it open and you snap out and it was it was filled with two inch chunks of meat in there and it was yeah oh <laughs> yeah it was as if you went out and ordered lobster in a fine restaurant and that was the size of the claw that they gave you and I think and I had said that the meat was sweet enough that you didn't need the drawn butter but I think that you felt that the drawn butter oh drawn butter can be great with anything poison tastes great <laughs> with drawn butter and I remember last year um, they had a lobster roll, which was uh, a, a small, maybe four inch or so, uh, very uh, heavy bready roll with little pieces of lobster. It was very mayonnaise and had some filler to it. But this year they've definitely improved on that item specifically because now it is some of those giant chunks of lobster with no real filler, not a lot of uh, heavy mayonnaise or, or sauce. And the lobster roll was, was fantastic. It looked wonderful. Yeah, last year it did have a lot of filler, a lot of coleslaw type of, and, you know, just little pieces of lobster. And uh, this was just lobster on a bun. And it was like three or four big pieces of lobster. Uh, it was probably one of the more expensive items, probably closer to six, seven dollars. I don't even remember. It was just a blur at this point. Yeah, but we never felt that it wasn't a good value too. And the roll had that drawn butter just soaking <laughs> into it, infused. <laughs> So it was such a wonderful flavor. And something we almost forgot, we almost, we didn't get, but but I think you actually, Dee, had recommended it, was the dessert, which was the pumpkin mousse with the craisins and orange sauce, which was, I think, the deal of the day. It was a, a $1.50, $2? Yeah, it was a $1.50, and 
probably the best, in my opinion, the best dessert that is out there, you know, and it's a good value, so, yeah. It, it came in sort of a long, wide sort of shooter type shot glass, and it was layered with craisins and pumpkin mousse and like a, a brown, like a graham cracker. We actually like forgot about it. So two people went to go get some and as it was coming over, the audible ooh and, and just ooh, what's that? I'll have to try and go through the audio and drop in some of the sound clips while we were eating some of these things. It was, it was wonderful. And what I liked about it was, I like the Bailey's, the, you know, the Bailey's tort we've gotten. It's all chocolatey and good and warm and all that good stuff. But this is a little bit of a step above. This this has more textures and more flavors in every bite. Putting that all together, oh, it was so good. And it was shareable too, and for a dollar fifty. It was a pumpkin mousse rather than a pumpkin pie. A pumpkin pie can be a little bit heavy, but because this was a mousse and it was lighter, it was so much easier to eat than a pumpkin pie. Yeah, for those of you wondering what it really tasted like, accurately described, I would say it is Thanksgiving in a cup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We talked about some of these things being comfort foods, the cheddar cheese soup being comfort foods. This was like American comfort food. Yeah, I think at Thanksgiving, I'm gonna bring a bag of craisins to put on top of my mother-in-law's pumpkin pie. I hope she won't be offended, but I think, you know, it might have something going on there. Yeah, that, that was phenomenal. If I'm, if I'm correct, I believe this is the kiosk where we actually realized that when we went to the slip, the, our register receipt, we could, look up the menu and then look up that we had the recipe. So this is one of those things that I am going to use my iPhone and find that recipe and maybe replace my mother's pumpkin pie. Yeah, it'll be a good alternative instead of pumpkin pie for Thanksgiving. A really good alternative. You would wow people at your Thanksgiving with something like that, you know. And so that's interesting too. We didn't go to a single seminar, uh, a demonstration, a book signing, a celebrity chef, but you're already thinking about ways that you can bring some of these flavors, some of these experiences to home too. And obviously there's, there's certain, you could buy cookbooks while you're here, but the fact that you get the recipe right from the back using the QR code, I think it is a brilliant, a brilliant idea. And you could try some of these things at home. So we moved over to Singapore and Glenn, you are I think the only person here who had actually been to Singapore. So it was interesting to hear your take on how some of the items uh, like the shrimp cake and the beef rendang compared to what you got when you were in Singapore. Yes, the, the two items we got in Singapore were very spicy, very similar to the types of food that I had when I was over there. The uh, shrimp, very much like a dim sum, which is, which is, uh, you know, it's a, a, like a rice ball infused with this liquid, with this very moist uh, shrimp inside. It was pretty good, but it was very spicy. Once again, if you, I'm not a spicy lover, so to me it was it was too much for me as it was when I was in Singapore. And the uh, Singapore Sling, which is the drink that they get there, is only available in like one restaurant in Singapore. It's not like you go all over this island and you find it. It's actually this hotel, the Raffles Hotel in Singapore, where they sell this one drink for like $25 US. And they actually, it's a slightly different recipe here. I don't know if it's exactly the same, but it's, it, I guess they get the idea. And it's cheaper at Epcot Center. To, so instead of flying to Singapore to have it, just go to Epcot and then you can also, you know, go get some of the, the pumpkin cranberries. So is this something, again, Singapore, probably not on everybody's radar for something that they want to go out and, and actively try. But when you see it either on the menu 
uh, on, the, on your map or as you're walking through. Is this one of the things you guys look at and say, I, I'm willing, I want to try this, I want to give this one a shot, or is it maybe a little scary and you want to walk by? I, I always will try something different. I, I like that. I like being able to try all sorts of different foods. Um, so I kind of, I think I more seek that kind of stuff out. Yeah, and I mean, even if you're not like Larson over here who will try anything, that's the beauty of food and wine is there's something for everyone. Uh, you know, you can have anything you want, wine, beer, food-wise, and that's the beauty of it. And there's some kiosks like Japan where there's everything for everyone because this is one of my favorites. I love uh, Japanese food, I love Japanese culture, and I love the pavilions in the past. And again, talking about that dip in the toe in the water, they have a California roll, they have a spicy tuna roll. So if you're just sort of thinking, hey, I want to get on this sushi thing, I want to give it a shot, you can, instead of having to go out to a sushi restaurant, maybe everybody doesn't want to try it, you get three pieces of sushi for just a couple of dollars. It's a great way to sort of start into it. But they also have a tuna and uh, salmon sensation. And the big surprise, I think the big winner in food and wine this year, especially as far as new experiences, was the pork. I'm getting blind in my old age. The pork kakuni. So the tuna, tuna and salmon sensation was chunks of tuna and a nice sort of uh, rich orange. You could see the little uh, marbleization of the fat in the salmon over uh, over avocado and that sort of soy vinegar ginger dressing. That I just thought was awesome. Yeah, that was delicious. I think everything from Japan was a big hit, you know, with those flavors that uh, you're looking for something different. And uh, another thing, if yeah, if you don't uh, want to try sushi, try something like that. And uh, you know, it's not that risky. You do have to be careful if you're with your friends and you try using chopsticks because they're small pieces. <laughs> and a lot of them will end up on the table if you're not very good at it and your friends will call you out on that. Yeah, it's okay to use a fork or in our case a shovel. Even to a spoon. A spoon would probably be the wise move. Yeah. So. Um, but again, the, I think the big surprise for us, and before we even got to food and wine, we had friends who had been here earlier who said, you've got to go to Japan, as if we weren't going to, and try the pork because it looked sort of, when it was served, it looked sort of plain. It looked like a, a, a first of all, it was a, a, one of the biggest portions I think we got with a couple of large pieces of, um, it looked like very marinated pork, but it almost looked dry. But that I think was one of the big surprises on it. Yeah, you got two uh, large cubes of pork, but you could cut it up and share it. And uh, it did look dry when you saw it, but you could cut it with your fork. It was the most tender, juiciest piece of pork you'd ever have. And the kind of, whatever marinade they put on it was something unlike I think any of us ever had before. Oh, it was excellent. And then, and the big thing is, whenever you look at things, you have to take that leap. You know, I'm still waiting for sushi, maybe next year. But, you know, every year I tried curry this year, and I'll tell you what, when you looked at it, like you said, it looked dry, but it was melt in your mouth delicious beef, or pork. It was melt in your mouth, it was great. Yeah, you can't let your preconceived notions, even when you see it, sort of dictate what it might be because you'll be very surprised. Yeah, the uh, the pork kakuni, definitely number one in my book for this year. Uh, cut it with your fork, melt it in your mouth. There's there's just no way to describe it, how amazing it was. The, the mustard, surprisingly, too. 
was really good. I know Glenn wants to say it, but <laughs> but yeah, I I consider myself um, a mustard connoisseur. I guess I could say I, I do like you know all different kinds of mustard, um, and that would happen to be really good. Mustard, don't let us be silly. I didn't think that you were gonna let that go without doing your uh, your Mad Hat impression, but yeah, Japan across the board five pluses and we didn't even try any of the the beverages so they had beer they had sake they had a tokyo sunset so they had a lot of different things that again really paired well and when i go back again even not being a huge drinker i would want to go and try it because oftentimes the wine the sake even a beer will change the flavor of the food and it really does serve to enhance it so if you're not a big drinker you might want to go and, and try the food on its own and then try it again. One of the things that they, that the chefs have specifically paired up with that. I mean, yeah, uh, what you don't realize when you go to these booths is a lot of the times they actually pick these specific beverages because they pair well with the food selection. So don't be hesitant about getting any of the beverages because they are paired with the food. And Mike actually likes to pair his beer with his beer, which is nice. <laughs> so they sort of play off well off each other. Uh, New, Zealand, New Zealand was back again this year with the seared sea scallop and the lamb slider, which we've loved in years past. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to it again. That was a four for us. But something different this year was that seared sea scallop, and it had this um, very interesting red curry paste and apple radish salad. And again, flavors and textures you would never think to sort of put together, but work very, very well. So you have to sort of have that sense of trust in the chefs when, when you see these things. And it was cut perfectly. <laughs> I mean, just impeccably. Go ahead. Your grandfather was a butcher, <laughs> and we know. <laughs> you just need speed. Accuracy yeah. is fine, but you need a little bit of speed, too. But this is one of the things, too, like, there were very much a lot of different layers to the flavor, a lot of different textures and layers going on. And I think as we talked about it, we all maybe learned to appreciate it more just by hearing other people's opinions. Yeah, they've had the scallops before, but they've changed the flavors that go with them. But uh, you only get one scallop, one uh, sea scallop. So it's small. It's one of the things that's not really easy to share. You don't get a lot for your money. And if you are a big eater, you've got to understand that this is not, you're not going to go to a single kiosk, save for a few, maybe like a Canada or a couple of ones that have some very, very hearty foods in it. You are not going to sort of fill up on, on one pavilion alone. Uh, over in Morocco, they had um, the Kafka pocket, which is this seasoned beef and pita bread baklava once again. And this year they had a harissa chicken roll, which can only be described as a, uh, a Moroccan egg roll, served just like a regular Chinese egg roll, but instead it had a lot of black beans and corns and some really nice spices in it too. Yeah, actually, you're pointing the microphone at me, but that was the one thing I didn't try. So, but I enjoyed watching everybody eat it. <laughs> well, see, there you go. So sometimes maybe you need to get two so that everybody can share. Uh, one wasn't enough, but I, I pointed to you because we always talk about you and I, right. how much we enjoy Tangerine Cafe. Oh, yes. And I think Morocco is, a, is probably the one kiosk, save for maybe Norway and Akershus, that people might look at the menu and say, you know, I don't know, Moroccan food, it might be a little too spicy, it might be right. a little too crazy for me. 
and this is a great way to sort of get introduced to the flavors. We think Tangerine Cafe not only has some of the best food in World Showcase, but it's one of the best values as De well. Definitely, you can eat, have a wonderful, huge meal with a very short line, even during a very busy day at the park. Also, uh, it's included on the meal plan for lunch credit. And I was surprised I went in there, and most of the items are $11.99, and you get this big plate full of food for uh, one lunch credit on your uh, meal plan. And the other thing that happens in there is you can get coffees and teas made per order. So if you're tired of the Nescafe type thing and you want to walk in and they'll make, it's, we, we get this Moroccan mint tea that they make in there that is to die for at the, and it's just in their little tangerine cafe. And, uh, just and there's a, the, the dessert bar in the back so they've got a lot of different types of baklava. They have the walnut baklava like they served here but there's also a traditional sort of uh, pistachio one as well. And you could even sort of be a little bit more creative with your desserts as well. Yeah, absolutely. So the the inside they use the pistachio uh, baklava outside they had the honey or the honey walnut in their baklava and i thought the baklava was excellent and so the way we sort of approached it this year we're getting better after four years of doing this is we're not going from kiosk to kiosk but we're finding stations along the way and pulling in having people run ahead and the last three that we did was the Portugal, France, and Belgium trifecta. And I put them in that order for a reason because I want to finish off as we did today with Belgium. Uh, Portugal had this uh, a sausage with onion, peppers, and olives, uh, a galamad salad with uh, fennel, smoked paprika, and olive oil, and a pastel de nata, which we didn't try, which was a dessert. And this is one of the things that we saw, sausage and peppers and onions, we figured it was gonna be like a traditional sort of Italian sausage and peppers and it wasn't because it was one single ingredient that completely changed the flavor. And that was the olive, and it was delicious. And I am not an olive guy, and when I first saw it, I didn't think I was gonna like it, specifically because I don't like olives, but it added a different texture, it added a different sort of flavor to it, and that was one of the things that I was surprised how much I really enjoyed. Yeah, I think that was one of those that, as we were planning this, it's sort of one of those booths that we were kind of like, do we really have to stop at that one? I really don't think I'm going to like anything there, and everyone seemed to enjoy it. And France is one of the ones that I like bringing people to because one of the things that's a repeat item on the menu is the escargot, which is obviously snails and garlic in a little sort of uh, pastry bundle. And I think you get three uh, on a plate. And this is the thing that people, it's the joke, it's the dare, eating escargot. You had, uh, Larson never had escargot. You had never had it before I've either? Had You've had it before. Larson had, and I, the first time I ever tried it was here too, and I was pleasantly surprised as I think you were. Yeah, it was really buttery, really just, just good. Yeah, there's no other word to describe it. And there was no sort of, people I think are concerned with issues about texture or just like sushi, that sort of mental thing about getting past what escargot actually is. But if you sort of give yourself an opportunity to try it, you might be surprised. Well, quite often if you're like, overseas and you order escargot, they're gonna bring it out to you like on the shell. And that could be a little bit more spooky. They do a good job of putting that decrepit little ear thing inside <laughs> of a little piece of hollowed out bread in a way and they actually cover it. So you don't even know what it looks like. So if you just uh, trust in it and know that it's wrapped in infused with that awesome butter and you're gonna just take a bite and you're gonna enjoy it. And fortunately, the description in the book doesn't say the decrepit little ear. They just call it sales and it, When it's written in French, it sounds so much better, so yeah. much prettier than decrepit little ear. But something new on the menu this year, 
uh, which I've had in the past, which I enjoyed, and Steve, you were really impressed with, was which, well, it was, how much have I had to drink? None, was the Coco Vin. Yeah, it was uh, one of those items that was new this year, and one of the more popular food items the last couple years was the uh, the ribs, the braised ribs on mashed potatoes, and I was sad to see that go, but uh, this was a nice replacement. It was delicious. Uh, you got a good portion, and uh, you know now I hope they keep that one on. Yeah, this is one of those, it was a good sharing size portion, and now if you see it on a menu elsewhere, you might say, hey, I've tried this in France. I'm okay ordering it because I know what it tastes like. Uh, we also had the creme brulee, a chocolate creme brulee. I almost wish I was more of a, of a wine drinker or if I would come back again specifically to try the wines because certainly going to France, you had a choice of four different wines, uh, some being sweeter, some being drier, some being some from some of the different regions. But I think we all wanted to get to what I had promised was going to be the Grand Slam. We were going to end this with a home run at a pavilion. I think a lot of people walk by, not because it doesn't smell great, but because why would I go to Belgium just to get a waffle? I can, I can put my Eggo in the morning and have a waffle. I can put my syrup on it. But this is something that was completely different. I missed out on it last year. We made sure we ordered enough this year. And I was happy because this for me, believe it or not, may be the standout or one of the standout men. And you're these nodding. One of the standout <laughs> items. Because I think you too, you thought it's just a waffle. I what, honestly, I was really shocked. <laughs> I think I had a little bit of like a, a taste bud like shocker because I expected waffles from, like like you said, ego waffles. It's I don't it's, I don't even know how to explain the way that it tastes. It's so. Good. They had a, a sweet berry compote with just a little bit of whipped cream, and it was a, a number of different types of berries that just it worked. And the waffles just cooked perfectly. It was soft inside. It had a crunch on the outside. The waffles are so fresh. Uh, you could cut it in half almost by just looking at it. I mean, it was, they were that fresh. I, they're about three inches in diameter or so and about an inch and a half thick. And uh, they make them right there on the spot and they're warm and they got, the, and the berry compote on it is delicious. I think we're going back tonight. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, we could sort of hit it on the way out. I think it is pretty telling that it, it was the longest line of the day. So, and it wasn't, I think that's what exactly what it's for, is everyone is there to get that waffle. And I will tell you that the Godiva chocolate liqueur iced coffee was a really nice compliment to that too. So, uh, you know, it's been, the weather's been nice and cool. That waffle and iced coffee was a really nice way to not just end the day, but for a nice dessert and sort of to end uh, our, our walkabout, which, you know, the walkabout itself might be over, but we still have a couple more weeks left of food and wine, and now I sort of am going to come back again and again with sort of things on my radar, things I want to make sure that I eat and maybe not share <laughs> <laughs> with others. But sort of, um, Glenn, you had a great idea before asking people to sort of think about, as you sort of walked away, what was maybe your favorite uh, entree item? What was your sort of favorite, or maybe your favorite dessert, or things that really sort of stuck out for you? So since it was your idea, I'll ask you first. Well, I think I would actually go back to Argentina and get the grilled beef skewer with the chimichurri sauce and ended up with um, the pumpkin mousse in uh, in the US. I've got to say I was pleasantly surprised with the escargot. Yeah, I, did, I didn't think I would I would like it as much as I did, but it was it was really really good. Again, sticking with the uh, the pork cocoony, number 1 in my book. The pork cocoony was really good, but the other thing that I really liked was the 
slider, the pork slider from Hawaii, which we haven't gotten to yet. Oh my God, how did I miss Hawaii? We're gonna Ooh. have to interject to Hawaii. But the Hawaii? pork sli uh, the, the slider from Hawaii was excellent. How did I miss Hawaii in the tuna pokey? What yeah, was I thinking? I have no idea. Well, you'll have to, you'll have to. Okay, let's do it now. Well then, there you go. So <laughs> Hawaii, we, uh, it was one of the early kiosks that we did and Hawaii, which obviously appropriate because of the introduction of the new Vacation Club Resort over in uh, Aulani. I'm looking for <laughs> in the uh, in the uh, in the book here had a couple of items. One was a Kahlua pork slider with sweet and sour dole pineapple chutney and spicy mayonnaise, tuna pokey with seaweed salad and lotus root chip. That got a five. The Kahlua slider got for a lot of people a four. We rated it really a four plus, but. I know that was one of the first things I tried at Food One before the, the walkabout and is one of my new favorite kiosks. Oh, definitely. All the flavors in that, the, the chutney that's on it, the chipotle, and the beef or the pork itself just really melts together in your mouth just in a perfect bite. It was a perfect bite. Yeah, it's one of the uh, more popular new items. You could see the lines were pretty long for that. And even though they call it the Kahlua pork slider, there's no Kahlua. They told me that's just a, a way of barbecuing. That's a term they use for that special way of barbecuing the pork. And it's funny, you would think with all these different sort of exotic foods, a, a, a normal sort of pork slider would be something that would seem almost pedestrian, but the way they flavored it with the dull pineapple, for me, the tuna pokey, I mean, huge chunks of tuna with the seaweed salad, I mean, I you literally could drink it when it was done. Yeah, actually, that is my favorite thing, the um, the pork slider in Hawaii, as far as an entree type of thing goes. But as far as the dessert, I gotta give it to that Belgian waffle, that and the um, the, the the mousse from uh, from the U.S. was really good. So. And my favorite is a pretty standard, the beef empanada at, at Argentina, every year. And it's one of those things, again, you know you can come back to, you know consistently it's going to be one of the things that, that you enjoy. Um, but I think for me, and I think for a lot of us, it's that bit of exploration into something new, into trying new things. Um, of all the stuff that we've covered and sort of advice to people who are coming, does anybody have sort of a tip that they want to share or a bit of advice you want to share about approaching if maybe you've never been before or it's your first time coming this year? I would advise anybody to try different foods. Most of the time during the year, whether it's at home or at a restaurant, you pretty much can expect what the taste that you're going to get. And it's the fun of this is ordering something and not have any preconceived idea what you're going to taste. And uh, that's what makes this a you know fun time. For me, I think one thing that I, I think everyone should do is if you're not sure which one that you think you might want, go ahead and ask the people behind the counter. They've either, if they haven't tried it, they've heard it from other guests. And uh, especially with the wine pairings too, we would ask them about which ones were best, which one they would suggest. I think that's a really good tip while you're here. And I think the other thing that I have learned from food and wine over the years is try the food the way the chef prepares it. I mean, you may go there and say, I don't really like the peppers and onions on my sausage, but the chef prepared it that way for a reason. Give it a shot you might find that it's the best thing you've ever had. Yeah, I mean, coming into food and wine, you know, there are a lot of things that you would think that you might not like to try. My best advice, try them, because 
Sometimes you'll be pleasantly surprised. What's the worst that could happen? Pace yourself. I think we, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we didn't do that today, but um, yeah, definitely pace yourself. And, and remember, it opens up at 11 and doesn't close till park close. And if that's all you do when you go to Epcot this time of year, is just kind of go from kiosk to kiosk and take your time. Um, that's, that's my advice. Experience food and wine with friends. And for a little practical advice, when you walk out, instead of going left, go right. Because the kiosks are numbered 1 through 29 going around left. So people just seem to decide that that's the way they're going to travel. So the crowd immediately goes left. If you go right and you work around the other way, you're gonna, you avoid them for much of, your, much of your excursion. See, but now anybody who's listening should go left because everybody else is going to go right. So, <laughs> um, you sort of touched on what my advice is. I mean, certainly I, I think you all have great points, the things we sort of, uh, we've hit a, a number of times as we're talking about trying new things and experience. I think it has to do with the way you experience food and wine. It's not something to be rushed through. It's something to be experienced with friends with a number of people, whether it's you know a spouse, a girlfriend, boyfriend, or a group of friends, uh, I think it's the experience of food and wine. It is taking time to wander through. It's like Animal Kingdom. It's not meant to be rushed through. You take your time wandering through. You sample some of the little things. Stop and listen to some of the musical acts. If you want to, talk to some of the people. And I think, too, it becomes a social thing, too, because invariably, you can and will meet other people online who are waiting for the thing or are sampling it. So. Even if you do come solo, it can become a social experience for you as well too. Again, come at, come during the day, experience it that way. Come at night, go to the Eat to the Beat concert series too. It really is sort of a great night out. And it's all, other than the food, you know, the, the entertainment is included with the admission. Yeah, and I was only partially kidding before when I said, I kind of forgot the food already, but I do remember the experience. Just close your eyes and think about pork cocooning and Belgian waffles. I remember, mo I remember some of them, but I don't remember all the details about it. But I do certainly remember, you know, everyone's face as they experienced something or something somebody had said about. You know, yeah, exactly. It's that experience uh, that I'm leaving here with. Well, and I want to thank all you guys for taking the time to experience it with me. It did make it so much better. I, I always have a blast doing the walkabout. It's it, it's a lot of fun, especially because of the way we choose to do it. Uh, it's a learning experience every time. We're getting much, much better too, I think, as we're doing it. But I did had such a good time just hanging out with you guys. And I invite anybody who's listening to please come and try food wine if you can this year. If not, come next year. Come join us on the walkabout. Also, stay tuned. We'll be posting some of the highlights and or lowlights of the, of the walkabout uh, itself is too. Uh, on our YouTube channel and on the WW Radio site in the iTunes feed. So, Drew family, Steve and Drew, D, Scott, Mike Beckerman, Larson Eisenberg, and Glenn Whalen. I almost forgot. I'm thinking about Belgian waffles. Um, thank you guys again for, for really making this such a great experience, for coming out of the, the food coma best we could <laughs> to record. And um, how can I actually be thinking about eating again, too? Am I just the only one? Or no. Steve wants to know what's for dinner. <laughs> Guys, thanks again. Thank you. 
that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this week. Hope you enjoyed our recap of this year's Food and Wine Festival. But if you want to download the full live audio that we took during the Food and Wine Walkabout, you can visit www.radio.com. Click on the podcast for show number 245. There, I invite you to not only comment on this week's show, but this year's Food and Wine Festival. Did you attend? And if so, did you go to any culinary demonstrations or seminars, any uh, author signings, or did you just go around and enjoy the kiosks as much as we did? If so, what were some of your favorites? What would you like to see come back? What do you think maybe needs to be changed in future years? Also, as I said during the intro, you have a chance to download our full live walkabout on that page as well. We did record the entire walkabout, so it gives you a chance to sort of experience with us all of the different food stations, all the different kiosks and drinks that we went to, really give you a sense of walking around the promenade with us during the walkabout. It's about two hours again. That's why I didn't put it in the iTunes feed. But if you do want to download it, you can get it at www.radio.com. Again, click on the show notes for show number 245. Also, if you want to leave some feedback for the show, you can call the new voicemail line at 407 407- 900-9391 that's 407-900-WDW1 or you can also email me at lou at wdwradio.com quick reminder just a couple of days left to cast your votes for WDW Radio over at podcastawards.com thanks to your support and friendship we were nominated in the travel category this year voting does end on Thursday October 27th you can vote once per day every day again Visit podcastawards.com. Scroll down to the travel category in the bottom right. There you'll see WDW Radio. You can just put your name and a valid email address in the box because they will confirm your vote via email. Also, don't forget to join us not only on the show, but every Wednesday night for our live video broadcast and chat, 7.30 p.m. Eastern by visiting wdwnewscast.com. There you can be part of the show, not only watch but chat live in an interactive discussion about this week's Walt Disney World news. And if you can't make it live, that's okay. You can also catch it at youtube.com slash Radio or on the WDW Radio blog. Also, I'll put the audio in the iTunes feed as well. There's also lots more going on over at wdwradio.com. Visit the website to read our daily blog posts, join our discussion forums, explore the rest of the site, check out the WW Radio shop for my books and CDs and iPhone apps and lots more. Also, Marathon Weekend at Walt Disney World is coming up in January 2012. If you want to be part of the WDW Radio running team or you just want to go out and cheer as part of our cheering team as well, visit wdwradio.com slash running. Anyone and everyone is welcome and invited to enjoin, whether you're a runner, a walker, or a spectator. Again, you can visit wdwradio.com slash running. Please be sure and follow me over on Twitter. I'm at Lou Mangiello. Join the WW Radio page on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash WW Radio. Also, visit celebrationspress.com. There you can subscribe, order back issues to Celebrations Magazine. Also, you can pre-order our deluxe hardbound limited edition holiday book, 120 pages of Disney Christmas magic, hundreds of all-new color photos, behind-the-scenes stories of holiday celebrations at Walt Disney World past and present, Lots more makes a great gift for you or another Disney fan that you know. If you pre-order now, you'll save $5 off the cover price. You can get it at $19.95 plus shipping. 
It is a limited edition and it will be shipping in time for the holidays. Again, for more information and to download a free sample PDF of Celebrations Magazine, visit celebrationspress.com. Quick thanks to my partners and sponsors, Mouse Fan Travel, as you know. It's who I use, whether you're going to Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, or Adventures by Disney. Becky Mankin and her team of agents give you the best possible prices, all available discounts, an amazing level of personal service, all at no extra fee for you. When you come into Walt Disney World, maybe you want to stay at a vacation home like we did during the 40-hour show. AllStarVacationHomes.com has homes and condos with private pools, kitchens, game rooms, spas, lots more. But if you want to stay right in the heart of Walt Disney World and enjoy 17 world-class restaurants and lounges, the Mandara Spa, and the incredibly comfortable Heavenly Beds, be sure and check out SwanAndDolphin.com. Thank you guys, as always, for your friendship and your support. As always, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word, let others know about it, tweet out that you're listening, share the link on Facebook or Google+, come by, vote for the show over at podcastawards.com, and please also come by, rate and review the show and the iPhone apps over in the iTunes store. Very much appreciated. But most importantly, I hope you guys remember that there is no time like right now to start pursuing what you are passionate about. Be positive, set goals, Take steps and follow your dreams. And when you do, always keep moving forward. So until next week, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, thank you again so much for taking the time and tuning in. So until next week, have a great week, everybody. See ya. Yes, I'm I'm a uh, longtime box person, finally getting my voice out there. And I was watching uh, the show from October 19th about uh, Test Track refurb. I agree that it does need to be refurbished, but I do not want to see a car's overlay. I believe that Epcot does not need these movie overlays. I was angry enough whenever... Finding Nemo took over the living seas. I don't want to see that happen to test track. Hey, Lou. Jen Tremley from Bristol, Connecticut. I just got uh, – actually, I'm still listening to your uh, WDW newscast for this week of October 19th, um, and I just wanted to call in and comment about your question in regards to test track. Um, I don't want to see it updated, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, if we're talking about a a minor refresh, you know, a couple new cones of paint, maybe some new – you know, decals or new vehicle types, that would be one thing. Um, but I really hope that they do keep it the theme of the, you know, the test track, the, the you know, the proving grounds um, for vehicles and, and show us how they do test it and stuff. I think that if we get into putting in a car's overlay or, you know, things like that, I think it's really going to take away from the piece of the fact that this is still Future World. Um, it's an exciting ride. Um, you know, it, it's educational in the sense um, it is still very, very popular. I mean, I was just there a month ago, and, you know, the lines, even though I went during a slower time, the lines for, you know, the, the queue for not for single rider were upwards to 45, 50, 60 minutes. Um, fast passes went pretty fast. Um, you know, so, again, it's a very popular ride. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, again, having – I mean, I'd like to see them maybe throw in some pieces of new, new technology or something, but I really hope that they do keep it – to, to be the, the test, you know, the test track. So, anyway, that's my two cents. As always, you do a great job, and uh, keep up the great work. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. 
Hey, Lou, it's Jamie from Chicago, ER79 on the forum, giving you a call from a very rainy Magic Kingdom evening. I was going to say, and it rains, and it rains, and it rains, the deluge. That's what it feels like right now, standing right here underneath the train station, getting ready to go back to our resort. We had a great day today. Today was mine and my daughter's birthday. We had dinner with the princesses at Cinderella's Royal Cave, which was totally awesome. Met all the princesses and saw the parade before that. And everyone saw us with our happy birthday buttons on. So everyone was wishing us happy birthdays from the floats, which was really cool. And I was, like, crying during the whole thing. It was so sweet. And we're just having a great time. So I just wanted to call in and check in from the park. Met up with... um, one of our forum, uh, new forum girls today, earlier, KTG, and went on a couple rides together with her, so that was awesome to meet another WBW radio person, and I also met another Disney person, uh, Shelly from Facebook, so that was really cool, and I'm excited to meet another great friend tomorrow, and hopefully see what the rest of the adventures we have the rest of the weekend, so I will talk to you soon. Bye. Yeah.